Well, with all of my heart today, I want to thank you for every expression of sympathy for Gail and our family over this past week. Um, your love and prayers have helped carry us through, and I want to thank you for your continued support uh, for our family. For the past five months, the atmosphere around the world has been pretty gloomy. Uh, depressing would probably be a better expression for what we've been feeling through these months. Some of you are old enough to remember the old 1970s uh, popular TV show, Hee Haw. Uh, one of the signature songs from that popular show has reared its head in my mind recently. Uh, the lyrics go something like this. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression. Excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Don't you agree that that captures the mood of our current reality in our world? Uh, we live in a world of unprecedented social distancing. And we as human beings were not created for social distancing. I led a funeral service two weeks ago for a man who attended our church. He died from COVID-19. At the conclusion of the graveside-only service, the family announced that they would love to give hugs to everyone in attendance, but current conditions would not allow them to get within six feet of other people. With everyone wearing masks, it was difficult even to recognize most people who were able to come. Then this week, we faced a similar restriction with the celebration of life service for James, Gail's brother. That's tough. That's gloom. That's despair. That's agony. That's excessive misery. And I think you would agree that it's downright depressing. I'm sure you saw this week also that in our own state of South Carolina, we are the third leading hotspot for COVID-19 in the whole wide world. So because you care about the lives of others, you are wearing masks in all public arenas. You are practicing social distancing. You are washing your hands probably more than you ever have in your life. And you're keeping your hands off of your face as much as possible. A year ago, only doctors and medical personnel would even have thought about such things as these. Now it's a seemingly permanent way of life for us. Gloom, despair, agony, misery, downright depression is closing in on us in all corners of the world. And this current reality is a heavy burden on all of our backs. Psalm 55 is a song about overcoming despair by walking with God through it. Uh, last week in Psalm 54, we saw that navigating the pressure of life works best when you live by faith in God. And so with that in mind, I want to remind us that our daily needs and ultimate needs are met by anchoring our faith in God. And that's where Psalm 55 takes us. Psalm 55 explains 
how that works in our everyday normal life. So you have your Bible open with me. I'm going to read Psalm 55, and you read along with me. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a mascal of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from it. But it is you, O man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He will enthrone for, he will be he is enthroned from of old. Selah, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter. Yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their lives. But I will trust in you. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. Well, this psalm gives us three views of despair. So let's just dive in and look at these three views of despair today. The, the first view of despair is the anguish of despair. We see this in verses 1 through 8. We see that despair is draining Look at David's anguish as you look at the words of verses 1 through 5. And I want you to try to feel the feelings that he's feeling. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan 
because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Do you feel it? Do you feel the anguish that is in David's soul and in his heart? And in the midst of that anguish, he cries out for mercy from God. See, his burden was heavy. Would you believe that I often have those kinds of feelings as well? And I bet you do too. The oppression of the wicked seems to be ruling all of life today. In our country alone, life's enemies are closing in on us more than we even know. In despair... Look what David said in verse 6. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find the shelter from the raging wind and tempest. David was in such anguish from the threats that were coming against his life that he just wanted to social distance himself from everyone And from everything, he wanted to slip away into isolated comfort and just forget all the misery. In his book, The Songs of Jesus, Timothy Keller wrote, For David running away would mean abdicating as king and letting someone else assume the stresses of leadership. I wonder if any of our presidents here in our country have ever felt that way. I bet you they all have. Uh, I bet you felt that way as well. See, leadership comes with high levels of pressure. And if you own a business, I bet you've had those feelings recently. This feeling to run away may, may even come to you when you're under great temptation and you're feeling that you could just rationalize the temptation that you're feeling by taking the way of least resistance and falling to that temptation or maybe even by lying or undermining someone who has offended you or is oppressing you and you you just want to run away and 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 hide and so you take that least way of resistance and You wander far away and lodge in the wilderness, just like David wanted to do. For some, it might entail falling into some addiction that you have had in the past that just numbs your pain so that it feels like it just goes away. It really doesn't go away, but it feels like it goes away. But David reminds us that There is no true shelter apart from God. In his mind and in his spirit, he wanted to run away. But he proved, as he had experienced in the past, he knew that his only shelter was in the arms of God. And so that's where he turned. He knew that God was his place of rescue. So rather than running away, he he turned to God. And for you and me today... God is also our only secure 
hiding place. And so rather than run away from the agony of life, run to God because he is a constant faithful shelter. In John chapter 6, Jesus knew that these kinds of things would come upon his followers, his disciples, as well as you and me today. And Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 6 that the day was coming when he would have to walk through the door of death. And probably they would have to walk through that door of death as well because of following him. And when Jesus said that, look at John chapter 6. You see the end of that chapter relates that from the time Jesus made that statement, many people walked away rather than turning to truly follow Jesus. And therefore, those who turned away chose eternal discomfort and eternal death rather than just a temporary anguish here on this earth. See, anguish is a part of life, and Jesus knew that. Your choice is anguish that comes through following Jesus and running to God in times of crisis, or you choose the path of anguish that will last throughout eternity for choosing not to follow Jesus and not to run to God, rather running away from him. David wanted to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. And the shelter he chose was crying out to God for mercy. And that's what I encourage you to follow me in doing today as well. See, mercy, that idea of mercy in verse 1 is a court term. It's asking God to grant leniency. See, justice has to be served for crimes committed. And mercy is admitting that I deserve condemnation. I deserve punishment for my crime. But I'm asking God for salvation instead. And isn't it interesting that God has provided salvation for us. He serves justice, but he's taken the payment for justice on himself. And provided salvation for you and me when we call upon him. God has provided mercy for you today through Jesus. David had his promise of salvation that he knew was coming through God's mercy. You have the promise of mercy that has been delivered to you today through the person and through the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I encourage you to turn your life over to him today cry out to him in your greatest time of need hold on to him and eventually just like David experienced your anger and your anguish will be replaced by God's perfect peace so there is a view of despair that takes care of our anguish There's a second view of despair, and the second view of despair is the anger in despair. We see this in verses 9 through 14. See, despair creates anger. So look at David's anger. His anger was personal, and his anger was deep. And he was praying to God to intervene. So 
Look at verse 9, and again, I want to ask you to feel the power of the words of David in this prayer, in this song. In verse 9, he says, Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from it. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. See, David has been betrayed not just by an enemy or not just by a colleague. David has been betrayed by his closest friend. And oh, the agony and anger that that brought out within him. And he responded to that betrayal again by praying to God. I think you'll agree that his prayer was raw and it was real. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongue. See, the pain from his betrayal wouldn't go away. I mean, it was bearing down on him like weight after weight after weight. And David asked God to confuse the words of his enemy, to confuse the words of his friend who had betrayed him. Because the evil of David's oppressors comes out in this verse. It was wreaking havoc on the entire community. David loved Jerusalem. He loved his beloved safety net city. And the sins of his friends and the sins of enemies were causing destruction among the people in the city of Jerusalem. Sins like slander and injustice always affect more than just the people who are committing the sin. It affects everybody in the community. It wreaks turmoil on the entire human community. And the injustice and devastation that sin was causing on the city of Jerusalem that David loved made him mad. He was angry. So how do you deal with anger and similar experiences of extraordinary inner pain and distress. First of all, I want you to understand that anger is not bad. Anger is an emotion that God has given all of us. I mean, when Jesus walked here on this earth, Jesus expressed anger, but he did it in a positive way, did it in a healthy way. So let's look at the options that we have for dealing with anger. There are three options, two are bad, one can be good. So the way you deal with anger can be good or it can be bad. The first option that we have for dealing with anger is expressing anger. We choose to express it. Uh, this could look like hitting the person or kicking the dog. It could look like screaming and yelling at the person or taking it out on your innocent child or taking it out on a close friend. It could look like throwing something through the window or taking your fist and smashing it up against the wall. 
It could even look like taking a gun and and shooting someone. Uh, Expressing anger is an option, but it's not the only option. A second option for handling our anger could be to suppress it. Suppressing anger is another option. You are hurting to the point of despair, but you just slough it aside or you stuff it inside. Someone asks, how are you doing? I'm fine. You're dying inside, but you just stuff it. You just leave it inside. You let it turn and turn inside your spirit. It's like you know, sweeping that elephant under the rug and pretending that it's not there. Your body was not designed to internalize anger. You stuff it and stuff it and stuff it, and sooner or later, physically, your body is going to shut down. But that is an option. That is a way that you can try to handle your anger. So expressing and suppressing anger are options, but remember, both of these can be quite deadly and can be damaging to you and everyone around you. They're self-destructive responses. But there's a third option to handling anger, and it's a more positive way of handling anger. It's confessing anger. So the third option is to confess it. And David did this. David confessed his anger to God. Now, you may want to confess your anger to God, and I hope you will do that because that's the first step. You may also want to confess your anger to the person that you're angry at, if that's appropriate, if that's not going to bring danger into your life. When you express or suppress your anger, understand that you're treating God like he was an enemy because you're trying to take on the whole world on your own, in your own strength. And that's not what God has designed for you and me. See, sometimes it's great to confess anger to God and to other people when it's safe and appropriate to do that. Because when you bring him into the picture, when you bring him onto the scene... You are treating him like he is your best friend. And that's what he wants to be. He wants to be a friend to you. It's okay not to be okay. But when you're not feeling okay, when you are feeling discouraged and depressed, when you're feeling feelings like anger, I would encourage you to follow David's example and just confess it to God. Don't worry about what other people might think. Don't worry about that image that you might have. A great author of old, John Brown, wrote in his exposition to the Hebrews, and I quote, It is infinitely better to have the whole world as enemies and God as your friend rather than to have the whole world as your friends and God as your enemy. So, Rather than inappropriately expressing anger or destroying your body by unhealthily suppressing it, confess it to God. Don't despair. Confess 
in prayer. But there's a third view of despair that we need to look at from this psalm. And that's the antidote for despair. The antidote for despair. In Psalm 55, verses 15 through 23, we see this expressed. See, overcoming despair comes through trust in God. That's the antidote for despair. Look at David's assurance. David responded to the betrayal of his close friend and all of his enemies with assurance that God would deal with the matter. Look at verse 15. David prays and sings out, Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. Now again, these are strong words. And they're spewing from the heart of a very angry person at the damage that these supposedly friends and enemies of David had caused. And because of that, David was hurting, and in his pain, he cried out to God, and right here in the middle of his cry to God, a bridge takes place, a transition takes place between the heart of David and the heart of God. Look at it with me in verse 16. The Bible says in verse 16, But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon... I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. See, David had a routine of praying three times a day. So he says that evening, which was the beginning of the day in the Hebrew mind, the day started at sundown. So he says at evening, at the very beginning of the day for him, at evening and morning and noon, I utter my complaint to God. He prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. Prayer was a way of life for David. It wasn't just a last resort. It was a way of life. Faithfully praying in good times and in bad times made it just a victorious pattern of life for David. Wouldn't you want to follow that pattern? I mean, wouldn't that be great if prayer was more than just a last resort for when we were in trouble? Have you ever disciplined yourself to have a routine in your prayer life? See, routines are healthy and good when they're good routines. Uh, This past February, I did a reset on my eating schedule. And in that time frame, I've lost a little weight without even noticing it. And I feel great. I probably feel better today than I ever have in my life physically. Because I've fallen into a routine of being healthy in my eating habits. But it's also helped me in my prayer life. It's helped me realize how much I need to have this same kind of routine. If I'm going to eat small meals at 6 and 9 and 12 and 3 and 6 and 9... And follow that routine pattern. I've seen how much greater and important it is for me to infuse into my life system that kind of prayer pattern as well. 
and have times of prayer at 6 and 9 and 12 and 3 and 6 and 9 at morning and at noon and at night following David's pattern to enter into prayer with God. I want to challenge you to pick up on that kind of routine in your life because, listen, God is a prayer-hearing God. And God is a prayer-answering God. I don't understand everything there is about the dynamics of prayer, but I do understand this. The result of prayer always leads to a healthy and helpful communication between my life and God's life. And God wants to intervene in my life as He wants to intervene in your life as well through the power of prayer. Look at verse 18. We see the result of prayer. David cries out and says, He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from old because they do not change and do not fear God. What is he saying? He's saying the better we know God by spending time with him in prayer, the more we know how to ask and receive from God. The less we turn to God and turn to God in prayer, the farther God is going to be away from us. In James chapter 4 and verse 2, the writer of James says it so clearly. He says, you have not because you ask not. The more time you spend in prayer, the better you will be able to handle despair. And again, remember, despair is a part of life. It's a normal, regular part of life. It's going to come into your life. And so follow the example of David and follow the pattern that James set. And let God resource you through the strong power of prayer. True prayer is aligning your desires with the desire of God. See, the purpose for prayer is not for God to give you everything you ask for. <laughs> the purpose for prayer is for you to want to ask for what God wants you to ask for. And when you ask for what God wants you to ask for, then he, he answers your prayer. In verse 20, David concludes by saying, My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were, they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved, but you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their lives but I will trust in you now again do you see the yo-yo effect in David's life he was still fully human he was feeling all of the weight all of the despair of being betrayed and of being abandoned and being attacked 
And yet, at the same time, every time he would come up and look up, he would call out to God in prayer, and he would be renewed. His friends were hypocrites. They would say one thing in his, in his face and to his face, and yet act another way to his back. They were the very people who had actually worshipped with him, shared communion with him, and yet they betrayed him. And he saw them for who they were. They were hypocrites. And so what did David do? He preached to himself. Look at verse 22. He says to himself, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. David was preaching God's truth to himself. And when you cast your burdens upon the Lord, when you cast your cares upon the Lord, the result is that God doesn't necessarily take your troubles away, but he sustains you through those troubles. He gives you strength to handle them. See, David's anguish and anger doesn't just disappear. But ultimately, David makes the right move. He gives his burdens to the Lord because he fully trusts in God. And I want you to join me in doing the same thing today. If you're in a storm, pray to God. Because when you pray to God, he's going to do one of two things. Just like he did with, with, with David. David gave his burden to God because he trusted God. And when you give your burden to God, he's going to do one of two things. One, he may steal the storm. He may take the burden away. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 39, Jesus had taken his disciples away in a boat to get away from the crowds. They were tired. They were weary from ministry. And while they were in the boat, Jesus was asleep on a cushion in the boat. And this gigantic storm comes up, and the disciples think they're going to die. And they go and they wake Jesus up. And in verse 39, this is what the Bible says. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Jesus saved his disciples by calming the storm. And sometimes in your life and my life, he'll do the same thing. But not always. Calming the storm is not the only choice that God has. Sometimes God has a greater glory for you to experience and for him to experience and walking with you through the storm. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 23 to 32, we have another story where Jesus is up on a mountain praying after a very busy day of ministry and the disciples get in a boat and they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, finding refuge for themselves. And again, this giant storm comes up, and this time, Jesus walks out across the water to the boat where the storm is destroying the, the boat. The waves are beating up against the boat, and the disciples again think they're, they're going to die. And they look out, and they see Jesus coming. They think he's a ghost. And Jesus calls out to him, and calls out to them and says, don't be afraid. Uh, it's me. 
And Simon Peter cries out and says in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got out of the boat, the wind ceased. See, sometimes God simply wants you to reach your hand out to him so he can take your hand and walk with you through the storm. So today I want to challenge you to join me in keeping our eyes on Jesus. He is our Savior. He suffered betrayal and rejection and death on a cross in order to save us. He shed his life blood to pay the price for the penalty of our sins so we could be secure in him. Certainly we live in times of gloom and despair and agony and depression. But in the midst of that gloom and despair and agony and depression, Jesus is here. He wants to walk through this journey with us. And so I challenge you today to do like David. Keep your faith anchored in God. Those last few words of this psalm are so important. And I pray today that you have the same kind of faith in God that David had. I don't think it'll be hard for us to apply this psalm to our life today. But let me just give you three points of application that I've found and drawn from this psalm this week. The first one is this. God's mercy is available to you. You may have feelings like David. Restlessness, moaning, being oppressed, angry, anguished, trembling in fear, overwhelmed, abandoned, violated, burdened. But don't forget the positive feelings that David experienced in the midst of these kinds of despair. He was sustained by his faith in God. And because of his faith in God, he was given new hope. And that can be true about you and me today as we experience God's mercy. God's mercy is available if you'll only reach out and receive it. I want to encourage you also not to go through whatever discouragement you may be feeling alone. Because you can accept God's mercy because He loves you and He wants to share life with you. The second application point is this. Prayer is your greatest asset in life. My wife was with a member of our bridge group this past weekend, a faithful friend. And the word came to her that 
her brother, Gail's brother, was at the point of death. And when Gail shared that news, that call that had just come in with her friend, her friend did something very special. She said, let's pray. And right there in public, she bowed her head, and together they poured their heart out to God and prayed to God. And as they prayed, comfort and peace came over them. An hour and a half later, as my sister-in-law, James's wife, had finally been given an opportunity to come into the room after two weeks of not being able to even see him personally. She was able to come into the room and experience life with him for the last time. And as she shared with him and poured out uh, prayers with him and, and, and songs of praise with him and encouragement with him about all the family and loved ones who were reaching out and, and praying for him, she realized after an hour and a half with him that the time had come. His body was beginning to fail miserably and his organs were shutting down. And she looked into his face and she stuck the shield that she had over her face up into her face, up, the, up into his face. And she cried out with all of her energy, run, James, run to Jesus. And he did. He, he took his last breath here on this earth. And then he breathed his first big breath in the presence of Jesus for eternity, forever and ever and ever. He will be sharing the breath of eternal life with Jesus because here on this earth, he took that step of faith and placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And when he took his last breath here on this earth, he took a big gasp in his first breath of life in eternity in heaven. I pray today that that will be your experience as well because one day, and it may be soon, you're going to come to face death as well. And my prayer for you, you is that you will be prepared for death because you are prepared to walk with God in life. That's what life is all about. It's about knowing God and walking with God and turning to God in your greatest time of despair. And when you do that, you're prepared to die. So you're only prepared to live when you're prepared to die. And the way you're prepared to live for eternity is by turning your life over to Jesus right here, right now, in this world. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, I thank you today for the victory that we have in Jesus. I thank you that as seemingly discouraging as this world is today, and as easy as it is for us to fall into despair, I thank you, God, that we have a hope because we have a faith that's stronger than our fear a faith that's stronger than a despair that wants to squeeze the life out of us. And God, I pray today that everyone who listens to the sound of your voice through this message, through this psalm, would make sure that we have that, that life that's anchored in Jesus. Now I want to say to those of you who may have never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, 
I want to challenge you today to not miss this opportunity to reach out to God today and take him by the hand and let him take you by your hand. If, if you feel God calling you to him, if you know that if, if you were to die today, you're not ready to die. I pray that you will respond to the call that he's giving you right now to take him by the hand. And here's how you do that. Number one, you admit that you are a sinner. You admit that you're living far from God and that you're an enemy of God. But you say, God, I don't want to be your enemy. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. And so you admit that you're a sinner and then you believe that Jesus Christ God in the flesh came to live on this earth. He lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and shed his blood for your sin. Would you receive that gift today? He died for you. He loved you that much and he loves you that much now. So admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for your sin and then commit your life to him. Confess your, your sin to him. Repent of your sin, turn away from it, say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to spend the rest of my life living with you. And when you pray a prayer like that and say, God, I give my life to you, God takes you by the hand just like he did Peter, and he'll rip you up out of this storm of life, and he'll walk with you through the rest of your life into eternity. God, thank you today for your salvation. And we celebrate that. We celebrate life in you. Help us to cast our discouragement and our burdens upon you today because you do care for us. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.